0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter, and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow. Facebook at Facebook.com slash BloodyElbowBlog. And as always, on BloodyElbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon, and Connor Rebush. Bloody Elbow Podcasts are proud to be sponsored by Rev Gear. They've been a pioneer in the industry and have grown into a formidable brand and true leader in the MMA gear market. Bloody Elbow listeners get 20% off. Go to Revgear.com slash Bloody Elbow email sign up.
1: Welcome back everyone to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts. As always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down in Austin, Texas. A rock solid fight night offering from the UFC. I mean, it's just the thing is it's so clear how much them having to put a fight card in front of a crowd makes them actually create a better product. Yeah. It's like, "Oh yeah, this fight card is pretty good, looks pretty good. The last one looked totally lame." Yep. And what's the difference? Apex, Austin, Texas. That's it. Pretty much. Also, a- ESPN Plus versus ESPN. Actually having something that's going to be on TV where people will watch it. That too.
2: Something that is not just straight up for the content mill. Yep. Uh, Yeah, it is a marked, marked contrast. No question. But, yeah, uh,
1: you've, got, you've got a former champion headlining the prelims. Yeah. They want about Misha Tate. But, yeah. You know former
2: champion a uh i think still a a low-level star for the sport i mean
1: she's i was just uh writing a piece about this the other day on my new column people can read i've started a new column called uh love to see it hate to see it just i'm rounding up some stories and doing little minor editorials basically and uh one of the things i was noting is that it kind of sucks to see all of the, uh, to see Larissa Pacheco and Kayla Harrison just coming off winning uh, at in the PFL fi- finals this week, mm-hmm. and the only th- the only th- thing that made any headlines about either of their victories was both of them talking about Chris Cyborg, and it made me realize that for ban- women's bantamweight and above, there has been no star replacement. Mm-hmm. At all for the last generation of stars where we had Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, Misha Tate, Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg. Yeah. All is significant, if not high, big draws in the case of somebody like uh, Nunes, but all pretty significant drawing, you know, pay-per-view buildable fighters. Yeah. And there's nobody behind them. Like there's, there's nobody in that division right now that can draw flies. You just, you know, you've got Holm in her forties. Tate's already retired once she's a, come back now, but you know, yeah, she's still a, about as big a star as There is over 125 pounds in women's MMA.
2: Yeah. I, th- so. I think that's exactly correct. I mean, uh, who else could even be in that conversation?
1: Juliana Pena has, uh, yeah. she wanted to be, but she's, you know, she, I I mean, I not to, to she, well, she had a huge injury and then she took a bunch of time off for her having a kid too. And right in kind of the middle of the prime of her career, when she was going to be a title contender and now she's injured again, you know, she's making a title fight, Past her, the the there's never really been a moment where Pena has clicked, mm-hmm. and then otherwise you had you know people like uh, Yana Kanitskaya and Irene Aldana and Ketlin uh-huh. Vieira, all is sort of the next wave of talent coming up, and these are not stars. No, not none of them achieved any kind of notoriety. Yeah. So. Yeah, there, there might be young talent on the rise now, maybe, that we'll be talking about in four or five years, but there has been no replacement for yeah. the first wave of big women's MMA stars, basically. At least, you know, there are some down at 125, 115, but nothing above that. Yeah.
2: Well, hopefully that means that, uh, you know, these uh, late career fights for somebody like Misha Tate are opportunities for up-and-comers to uh, make statements. Yeah, that's what you'd hope. And get impressive wins. I mean, I don't know that anyone gives a shit about Catelyn Vieira now that she's beaten Misha Tate. And does beating Holly Holm still get you anything? That seems like that probably gets you more than any of the others.
1: It got, yeah, it still got uh, Myra Buena Silva a pretty big bump before the drug test failure erased it, but she's fighting for a title still, Silva. Yeah. So it got people, you know, I, I certainly saw that and was like, damn, I haven't seen somebody thrash Holly Holm like that for a long time. And that, you know, that felt like a bigger deal. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, right now, I, honestly, I think probably cyborg beating cyborg is the biggest bump anybody could get. Yeah, basically. So anyway, that was, that's uh, why it was my in my hate to see it column because I don't have yeah. anything against cyborg. I, you know, she's been a pretty fantastic and impressive fighter for her whole career, mm-hmm. but it it does suck to see that and just realize suddenly like. Oh, this is all this is all you you, you guys have. Like there's mm-hmm. there's no other big fight for anybody right now.
2: Mhm. Anyway, uh what about Julia
1: Avila? I mean, I wish she had gotten into MMA a decade earlier.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of the feeling. She uh was so very impressive. In uh, some of those early performances, and you know, the whole time you were like, okay, her her technique is kind of iffy, yeah. Uh, but man, she's like fast, she's powerful, she's aggressive. She seems like a pretty natural fighter. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we see her get badly out wrestled by Ciara Eubanks. And then I was not super impressed with how she looked in her fight with Julia Stoliarenko either.
1: Yeah, I mean the thing. Unfortunately for Avila, I, you know she's she's unfortunately she's one of those people who has had like a whole other career alongside fighting. Yeah, she's got like a Ph.D. or something, you know. But uh, it really it seems like she fights her, her fighting is clearly a pathological desire for her. Yeah. And I don't think she's ever done it, invested in it enough for long enough to have it, um, become anything else. Yeah. You know, this is somebody who is driven to fight by a love of adrenaline and testing themselves. Yeah. She
2: likes the feeling of thrashing somebody. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like. Clearly, she gets excited and and um, and and sharper and has tremendous killer instinct whenever she does get to thrash somebody.
1: But it's never been functionally channeled into any kind of. Yeah oh, I want to make sure that I use that to win at the highest pro- level professionally. It's just like, oh, every now and then I'm going to take another fight and get to thrash somebody again, and that's going to be awesome.
2: Yeah, to the extent that she was in there, uh, you know, uh, again, against uh, uh, nobody's idea of a good striker in Yulia Stolyarenko, mm-hmm. and was just, like, falling out of her stance and just, like, trading 35 right hands in a row with her.
1: Like, yeah, I Stoliarenko would kill, kill for Avila's killer instinct.
2: Yeah, and and probably for her her physicality too. I mean, yeah. Avila is, is 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 quite fast and powerful.
1: Stoliarenko seems absolutely like somebody who is trying hard to be a pro fighter, yeah. Despite all the limitations working against them, yeah, and is working really hard to try to get better at things and make everything work. And she's just slow and not coordinated and didn't get to striking until very late and doesn't know how to wrestle. Yeah. And so here's Julia Avila just being an absolute wild woman, just balls to the wall, crazy. And it's just like, man, if, if only you could have, what she has you you know you could combine these two and you'd probably make a pretty damn good fighter out of it
2: yeah so all that being said like this should be uh, this is a bit like a guida Joaquim silva
1: yeah uh, this very-
2: should be a good matchup for misha tate mm-hmm. because misha tate on a good day is a much better boxer than julia avila sure she's got a jab you know, she can throw a one-two. She can move her head a little bit. Um, she has a lot of the basics of a boxing game that Avila simply does not. Uh-huh. And she's a wrestler who submits people. Yep. Um, these, you know, based on the struggles we've seen Avila have in her striking and the fact that she just got blanketed by, um, by CRU Banks, Misha Tate should win this fight. Yeah, but I don't know about
1: Misha Tate. You know, you know she yeah old she, and she's old and th- she fell for the she's she fell for the um Jake Matthews trap we were just talking about in our bonus content.
2: Yeah, she went in there and tried to kickbox with Catlin Vieira, uh, you know, and Marion Renault even nope. like a lot of striking in that fight too.
1: More, I mean, more concerningly, she went in there and tried to kickbox with Lauren Murphy. Yeah. And she couldn't. Yeah. Like, she has gotten trapped, like I say, into the same Jake Matthews trap of, oh, to be a good striker, I need to be on the back foot. Yeah. And cautious and selective. And... That can work all right when you are a when you're Alex Pereira. Gosh, I was I was, gonna, I was I was going
2: to I was going to credit Murphy's like strength and wrestling both underrated. But Misha Uh oh no, okay. This is the wrong fight. How many, I was got to see how many takedowns Misha actually went for. Okay, she did she go for seven. seven.
1: But she did them all from a position of being on the back uh, being yeah. away. You know, not having the opportunity. She's not driving forward. She's not pressure fighting and sticking Murphy on the cage and then trying Which to take him down.
2: Really was her striking style of old. She was yeah. pretty damn aggressive and it really seemed to work with her, her takedown game.
1: Yeah. She's now. She's, she's still
2: Davis herself.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't create a natural bridge and it doesn't like. And she's not that good a boxer. No, she's she not. She's, I mean, she she relegates herself in that kind of exchange, in that kind of fo- form. She relegates herself to every exchange just being fifty fifty, even if she is better. If you're only throwing one strike at a time, and you're you can move your head a little bit, you're just gonna get one right back, and it's just gonna be a fifty fifty exchange. Like you're not you're not so slick that you're gonna avoid the punches if you're both standing on your back foot with your head in the air. Yeah. Trying to just land one shot. And that was what happened with Murphy. She's like, she just, she just traded one punch with Lauren Murphy over and over again. Same thing happened with Ketlin Vieira too. Yep. Just trade one punch with this, but it doesn't matter if they're a worse boxer than you. You know, right. like I say, it, if you're the Israel Adesanya's of the world, or the Alex Pereiras of the world. Yeah, sure, you can get away with being mm-hmm. on your back foot a lot and just selecting a strike as you feel you need it. But I mean, even that, you know, even Adesanya found his limit on that. Mm-hmm. Most of the other fighters out there, like it's just you either need to be severely defensive and subtractive, which We've seen some fighters be, and I hate it, and it sucks. But you can do it. You can just be <clears throat> Trey Ogden out there, throwing a jab out and shying away from everything.
2: You could be uh, probably one of the best at it, in my opinion. Uh, fighting off the back foot is uh, Mister Sean O'Malley. Yeah. Yeah. A very, uh, very principled back foot fighter. Very threatening in every position. Doesn't yeah. really get uh, allow himself to get suckered into a purely defensive game even if he is the one moving backwards and side to side
1: Mm -hmm. but for most
2: Misha Tate doesn't have that
1: for most other fighters the capital T technical approach is just it's just a dead end Yep, it is for Misha Tate that being
2: said Catelyn Vieta, Lauren Murphy both of these women (laughs) it's, it's particularly in the wrestling department yeah uh avila is like she makes some very questionable decisions positionally in the clinch she rarely fights for underhooks even
1: she will be aggressive the only thing she thinks about is punching and moving forward and she'll end up in the clinch and she doesn't care and even
2: in the clinch she will be like i'm going to take you down and she will go for some like very Uncoordinated outside trip or something with like double overhooks.
1: Yeah, it's all pathology for her.
2: Misha Tate could totally just out wrestle her in those positions. Uh uh-huh. She should be able to. She
1: really should. I think I'm gonna take Misha. I'll take. I'm gonna stick with Julia Avila. Yeah. I, I just can't.
2: I shake. took the younger guy, the younger, harder hitting guy, and uh, in the main event and in. Uh that Silva not, Guida. Not She's two
1: years younger.
2: Well, you know, younger in her less tread on the tires. Yeah. Uh less wear and tear. And you know, i and I took it in, in Silva Guida. Here, while I have, I think, greater concerns for Misha Tate than any of those guys, I just don't think Julia Avila is nearly as good as she needs to be. Her game uh, is just full of holes. Yeah. She's just going to run herself into the clinch and have to wrestle with Misha Tate. Like, I don't know.
1: No, I, I agree. It Misha be. Tate doesn't have to be good at setting
2: up her takedowns with her current game. If, if she, the clinch is just going to be given to her, that's, that's my just,
1: problem. It should be a win for Misha Tate. I'm just going with Julia Avila. I'm just that's taking the it. gut pick. I just think that Tate has trapped herself into a con- – the worst part is it's a, it's a confidence trap too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it puts her in a, in, into a version of a fight where she can't assert herself in any way. Yeah. And so she starts feeling like she can't win in any way. Yep, just doesn't feel good. And it, I just don't like any of the body language around it. I don't like anything about it. Avila's fight is a mess. But it's all putting her in a position where she can assert herself to win, yeah,
2: unless yeah. she gets taken down because she yeah, had her goddamn spirit broken by Eubanks.
1: but uh so yeah i'll I'll take Avila, but i don't I don't like it for her it it's it's a fight that the smart money is on this hate. is what a this is just
2: uh, uh, this is what a crossroads looks like at women's bands <laughs> it's just like an unpredictable mess, mhm-
1: Tate opened at plus 144, is currently down at plus 122. Avila opened at minus 161, is currently at minus 135. That brings us to me losing my place. That's and your favorite fighter, Cody, Cody Brundage, Zach Reese. Yeah, my boy, Cody. <laughs> I, I am sorry, Cody. I really thought that. You were gonna like find something not not a run of any kind, but just like a competitive mid card ability. This is Cody Brundage's i think he is the great case study of why fighters shouldn't game plan because <laughs> he has exactly one good idea, yes, he comes in fight. with one starting plan and you're like oh yeah that's a good idea and then it stops working at some point and everything else is gone like (laughs) the focus is so complete on the one thing he thought he was gonna do yeah that everything else vanishes yeah he's
2: he's a guy who goes out he's like oh it's sunny i should wear a sun hat and he just forgets to put all the rest of his clothes on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> gets arrested for indecent exposure. Gets a third. It gets like a, a second degree burn on every part of his second body. Second degree
2: sunburn. Second degree sunburn on his penis. <laughs> yeah. But forehead and the back of the neck are safe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Except that he actually, you know, slipped and the hat fell off. So. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's usually what happens,
2: too. Don't game plan, kids. You heard it here first.
1: I mean, Brundage, he's the argument of why other fighters shouldn't. Like, if you're not a natural game planner, (laughs) this is the don't do it argument. Because, yeah, it just doesn't get it. Like, he just seems – he expresses the fear that every other fighter voices when they talk about why they don't game plan them. And you think it's stupid, and they're like – you get lost in your own head. You get like worried about what they are doing and not thinking about what you should be doing. All that and yeah. like you, you see
2: you it in him. A, you fixate on singular details and it turns yep. out that you've game planned yourself out of having a fully functional strategy. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: it is. He is. He feels like a great example of that, which is too bad because Zach Reese is really beatable. Yeah, Zach Reese is. He is a knockout loss waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. The fact that this man has not been knocked out before is really quite remarkable. He barely beat Eli Aronov, and that was a one minute, 14 second arm bar. You know? He ended up on his back in a heartbeat, eating huge shots. And you're like, oh, man, he's not going to last. And then he got an arm bar. But it's the worst kind of grapple. That is like the worst kind of win to see on somebody's record, honestly. That's why every time you see record, you see somebody's record and you see a bunch of like guillotine and arm bar and triangle submission wins on it. It's just like, oh, no, that's not good.
2: Just not a functional...
1: Yeah. Um, so it could be a fight that Brundage lo- wins accidentally. I kind of think all he has to do is survive a round. Probably. He's, all of his wins are in the opening minutes of the first round. So I And he's pretty inexperienced, so it seems very likely to me that if he hits round two, he will start to gas horribly because everything he does is big moves and he can't wrestle so it's all jumping in out of nowhere with like a flying knee or crashing into the clinch and then not getting care or not not caring if you get taken down Mm -hmm. but like man it's hard to pick Brundage to win a fight against somebody who's just going to be dangerous yep so, and he and who is also huge.
2: Yeah, and Reese is at the very least more structured and intentional than somebody like Cedricus Dumas. I mean, Dumas is a—it's just a bad loss to take. Yeah, if you're like a reasonably experienced MMA fighter, like he's just a complete absolute mess. He barely knows how to fight. And Brundage couldn't get past that. People who actually like have a clear idea of what they want to do to their opponents, they tend to finish Cody Brundage.
1: Yeah, I mean he that lost to William Knight too in there. Yeah. Like the the big the 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 big win on his record that this could reflect is TreShawn Gore, but yeah. even TreShawn Gore was incredibly undercooked as a fighter compared. To uh, Zach Reese Gore really was a wait and see what happens guy Mm -hmm. who was just Mm -hmm. used to skating by on the regionals with people being too scared to approach him with anything
2: basically yeah
1: and Reese is not that he is a buzzsaw who will self detonate but he's a buzzsaw
2: I just feel like you gotta take him
1: Yeah, I feel that way, too. So, uh, odds on the fight. Brundage is the underdog here, opened at plus 206, currently at plus 192. Reese opened at minus 278, currently at minus 218. But I am telling you that Zach Reese is gonna get matched up with like Jacob Malcoon or Park uh Jung Young Park or oh, yeah. somebody like that in the not too distant future and absolutely get wrecked. Yeah. Just
2: any solid wrestler grappler who can stay calm and make it out of the
1: first rounds or any persistent puncher who will just stay on the front foot. That too. Yeah. He is so upright with his chin so high in the air and he's so willing to give guard. It's, I mean, he's very, very Paul Craig. Yeah. Big time. All right, uh, that brings us to a lightweight bout, Joe lucky Drekar Close. And uh, this is an, this is a solid fight. This is an interesting style clash. Yeah, and an interesting clash too between two guys that felt like really good prospects at one point and have not really taken any losses to diminish that, mm-hmm. but have still never made the move to elite fighter either. You know, mm-hmm. like close. He's 13 and two and a loss to Benil Dariush in a fight where you almost knocked him out mm-hmm. and a, debatable, really ugly back foot loss to David Tamer where you just waved your arms and said, come come at me, bro, for three rounds. Those aren't terrible losses. I think it was the other way
2: around. He was trying to pressure David Tamer, who was yeah, striking him. Yeah, but he, he was getting outstruck
1: just, off the back foot. And, yeah, he was just walking forward and waving his arms and saying, come yeah. at me, bro.
2: But hey, David and, Tamer, legitimately very good kickboxer.
1: Yeah, and so neither of those, they're not bad losses.
2: Whatever happened to David Tamer? He just hasn't he fought since that loss to Charles just, Oliveira.
1: He and his brother just both quit.
2: It's crazy. He was really good.
1: It's weird. Huh. But at the same time now, Drakkar Close is 35, and his best win of his career, well, is Bobby Green, which is a good win, but mm-hmm. that was five years ago. You know? hmm Like it's just not He doesn't fight very often. I mean he doesn't that's fight the thing. very often. And he's had some injuries. I think he had a He got that neck injury from Jeremy Stevens. Yep. That was a big one. Yeah, just a weird freak injury. And he's not a really a big finisher. There's not really a dominating part of his game. He's just a really solid fighter.
2: Dude. Much good athlete solid, fairly well-rounded, Yep. scrappy, beats people up in the clinch. Yep. Um. Yeah, whereas Selecki, you know, re- Wrestleman?
1: Action Grappler seemed like he was kind of heading in that d- direction, and I uh, still, you know, he's still only 30 and all that. It's just kind of also hasn't been fighting a lot or getting the kind of fights that make any kind of traction at all. Like he beat Jim Miller in 2021. Mm-hmm. And then you had that split loss to Jared Gordon and bought Alex Da Silva and then Carl Deaton, the mm-hmm. third. It's just kind of tread. Both guys are just the tread and water.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I am certainly inclined to take Dracar close. Oh, I'm taking close. Because yeah. Cause I just think Selecki. You know, there, there was sort of, there, there's been a, uh, an, an influx of these guys around the time. Selecki and Sean Brady. Yeah. And there's another one in there too. Sort of some, a new wave of, uh, wrestler grapplers who don't really feel like they're necessarily at the cutting edge of how the best wrestler grapplers are winning fights these days.
1: Sabatini.
2: Sabatini. That is the other one. Yes. Yeah. Um, who don't really have the, like, hyper-modern uh, wrestling ride, destructive pressure kind uh, of game. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the, the Khabib game, basically. Yeah.
1: The handcuff, the, yeah, the like, leg ride, the, you know.
2: Being a super-testing takedown artist who does not need to, uh, like, get mount or back mount. To, yeah. to win a fight who doesn't even need to complete all of their takedowns to win a fight who will just stick an opponent in this endless chain of like slightly losing positions mm-hmm. that just gets slowly worse so like, does not have that boa constrictor approach he is much
1: more a back take artist fuck like uh, reminds me a bit of Ju- jillian robertson
2: yeah yeah that's a good comparison but just much more of a back take artist too, like in fights where he doesn't cleanly out-wrestle his opponent, he tends to stall out a bit. Yeah, Even He's... against somebody like Carl Deaton III, kind of had trouble consistently advancing position on him. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, if a more, uh, more Arman Sarukian-like fighter were given that, that exact dynamic, he would be slowly crushing Carl Deaton and breaking him. Yeah. But Selecki didn't quite get there. And that's a pretty winnable matchup. I think that kind of illustrates his limitations.
1: Yeah, I mean, you then also have to look at the idea. Has Dracar Close ever been out-wrestled in a fight? Has it ever been the way to beat Dracar Close? Not really. Not really. The dude is really solid, and the best part of his, his game is his clinch game. Yeah. He's incredibly hard to handle in the clinch.
2: He gets taken down. Uh he's not an impenetrable takedown defense, but generally quite hard to control and keep down. Uh. Um very difficult to just sort of stall out and hold up against the fence because he is a really it seems like instinctively strong clinch fighter. And uh I just don't really see a clean path to victory for Selecki. Yep. In fact, I think he, the game he wants to play is going to run him into a much more miserable, grimy kind of fight yeah. uh, than he is probably prepared for.
1: And then if he and if he ends up stick, just sitting at the outside and having to kickbox with close, close will very easily and happily take the jab and low kick route to just yeah, picking somebody apart and then waiting for them to step in f- so he can counter. Yeah. You know, he's, I said, there's no, there's no bad part of Drakkar Close's game. It just feels like it should have ended, gotten him to something different than where he's at now, which is in the middle of the prelims fighting another guy treading water.
2: Yeah. He just hasn't really built much momentum.
1: Yeah.
2: But clearly a very good fighter.
1: Odds on the bout, nearly even, which I think is a little bit of a disservice to Close. Uh, Selecki opened at minus 103 is currently at plus 113. Close opened at uh, minus 107 is currently at minus 124. So moving in the right direction, but I don't feel like this is – this feels much more like the kind of fight that Trakar Close tends to win and much less like the kind of fight that uh, Joe Selecki tends to win. You know? For me. So. Anyway. uh, That moves us to a. Lost my place. A featherweight bout. Steve Garcia. Melchizedek Costa. And another one of my boys. Sadly. Well, actually, happily doing better these days. I, I really thought Garcia was, you know, after the high the the Maheshate loss, I thought that he was really going to get kind of kind of clubbed in the UFC and mm-hmm. just kind of pushed out of the picture because he's not a great athlete and he fights with a ton of aggression and he fights his way through the pocket all the time, so it's always the Steve Garcia style is put yourself right in the teeth of danger all the time. He
2: basically basically has Benil Dariush's striking. Yeah. (laughs) Without Benil Dariush's anything else. Yeah. So.
1: So I, but he's been making it work lately and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm glad to see it. And, uh, nonetheless, that probably is, the wrong, you know, you, you put that down and then you talk about Melchizedek Costa and I, I don't know that that necessarily carries the day.
2: No. Yeah, I don't think you're going to just straight up out scrap Costa. No. Uh, who is absolutely down to go to war with everybody so far. Uh-huh. Just a really um, undeterrable fighter who who is kind of, you know, fundamentally aimless. And weird yeah. and messy and, and is constantly improvising and innovating and just trying things, but at a really, really fast clip and with zero fear. Yeah. Uh Costa is a pace fighter who has a really, really well rounded skill set and a great chin and the belief that he has a great chin and just yeah, he, he could out wrestle and probably will try to out wrestle. Steve Garcia, but he could also probably beat him on the feet by just being down for it.
1: The big thing I think he can do is that, you know, like I say, Garcia is very much a fighter who, despite being a six foot featherweight, Mm -hmm. all of Steve Garcia's best work happens in the pocket. Yeah. It all is, you know, it's all about falling in for him. If he's going to kick Like, he kicked the body really well against um, Shailan Nerdembeke that kind of changed the tide there. It's still, for him, all about falling into the pocket after the kicks. You know, the kick is a – any kicking game, any jab, anything like that is a bridge for Garcia to be in front of somebody. And Melchizio Costa, as we saw in the Austin Lingo fight, he is much more the kind of fighter who, because he fights at such a high pace and because he's willing to be creative, he will just kind of set a barrier Mm -hmm. and say, okay, well, I will meet you at the edge of range with something every time. And I think that that's just going to get Steve Garcia hit with something every time, you know? if they throw matching body kicks, Steve Garcia is going to try to push through and do something after that body kick. Well, mm-hmm. just going to throw another body kick. Yep. He's just going to teep Garcia to the gut over and over again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll take Costa as well, but it should be a, an absolute war. Oh, no question. It's going to be fun. Garcia is a very much always fun win or lose kind of dude. And Costa is very fun
2: too. And if you give, you give Costa a fellow action fighter, like, yeah, for sure. He is going to be down to scrap with uh, Garcia. It should be a blast.
1: Absolutely.
2: But yeah, Costa is just shockingly good. I mean, uh-huh. he's just super tough and really high output and insistent and uh, yeah, does a little bit of everything. Like you said, like he, you, you can call him like unstructured, but part of a strength of his is that he is not too picky about what targets he gets. He is going to hit you everywhere he can at every opportunity. Yeah, Um, yeah, I, I, I quite like him.
1: Garcia is the underdog here. Opened at plus 157, currently plus 211. Costa opened at minus 176, currently minus 240. All right, that brings us to a light heavyweight fight. Ihor Potieria, Adolfo Bellato. And, um,
2: you know, I think Adolfo Bellato might become a good fighter, yeah, I agree. I don't know that he really fully is yet. um but he's twenty seven. He's a big, light heavyweight. yep, I mean, he basically looks like a heavyweight, six, three, long, pretty long reach, like just a big frame. I'm going to mm-hmm. guess the dude walks around at like 230 um and the kind of stuff you see him trying in fights I think is is indicative that he is a, he is a student who is like learning yeah uh learning a pretty solid fundamental game
1: yep he he, he, he definitely he, feels to me like a guy who is picking up simple tools and using them repeatedly to get comfortable with them and then try to advance them
2: yeah yeah he uses a jab, he moves his head, you know he's yeah. like very aware when he's in range um still a little tense, gets himself into awkward positions, but he is like uh he, again he he is aware of kind of the flow of an exchange- uh-huh. and um does a pretty good job of striking in the clinch, yeah um. You know, decently balanced footwork. Like I said, it's a very raw game, but it's 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 got the right building blocks. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll pick him over Ihor Potieria, whose game uh, yeah, I mean, is,
1: be, um, Potieria is just. A, <laughs> he's just a mess who got fed really low level regional opponents. And then got fed an ancient shogun in one of those moments of god-awful matchmaking that everybody could see coming from a mile away.
2: And the poor bastard won the fight and then just everyone hated him for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: not his fault. No, it's, it's not
2: sh- his fault. Shogun shouldn't be fighting anymore. No. Um, But like if Nikolai Negamarianu can just sort of barnstorm you and walk into the clinch for free and beat you up there. Yeah. I think I got to assume that big strong Adolfo Bellato can do it as well.
1: Yeah. The big the big problem for Potieria I think especially is that his best skill as it's shaking out at a high level in the light heavyweight division is his low kicks. And that's a great game to have at phantom weight. Lightweight, featherweight. There are a lot of divisions out there where you can do a lot with a a serious low kicking game. We've seen, you know, out of um Gutier- Chris Gutierrez and um oh god, what's his name? The dragon, his teammate um Martinez. Yes, Jonathan Martinez. Jonathan Martinez. Like yeah, a really good low kicking game that can take you a lot of places. Heavyweight and light heavyweight? Probably not one of them. I'm yeah, not it's thinking a good, you should it's a, low kicks.
2: No, it's a good it's a good weapon a good to tool. be skilled at in any division. I mean
1: it's a good skill, but there's a difference in these divisions where it can't be like your principal lean on skill. Because the fighters hit too hard. Yeah. And they will just find a moment. And Potieria is not a low-kicking master. He's just a bad fighter everywhere, but okay at low kicks. Yeah.
2: Also, and, also Bellotto pretty good at low kicks.
1: Yeah. So, like, you get that fight with Carlos Olberg, where Potieria is just kind of, at the edge of the pocket trying to low kick and like start exchanges with kicks against Olberg over and over again. And he just gets like, eventually he just hits one gets hit with one huge hook and it's, yeah, you know, it's game over.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's just not any other kind of, Fundamental striking game to back it up. So
1: yeah, I mean, Potier with Mariano like he came out and kind of did okay against Mariano for a couple minutes, and Mariano just got sick of it it was just like, okay, well, yeah. And if you
2: so, can't stop somebody from pressuring you, like the moment they get the idea that maybe they should, good luck winning fights with a low kicking game.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, yeah. Meanwhile, as I said, uh, Bellato, who does like to pressure, also a pretty solid low kicker. Yep. And it's going to work a lot better as a big, strong dude who's coming forward.
1: Yep. So, I think it's... I got to pick Bilotto here. I, I just think Potieri is an, a guy who got brought to the UFC for... You got lined up for, like, one sacrificial moment in the UFC. Yeah. And is otherwise not going to last. And it's a pretty big waste of Shogun in the last fight of his career. Truly, it was. Um.
2: I mean, I think, honestly, that probably they were trying to be nice to Shogun, and they were like, yeah, this is how would. bad the opponent has to be for you to have a chance of winning at this
1: point. Yes. So, but I'm,
2: that, I don't think they were trying to build
1: Ihor Potiera off No, that. but it was just, that. still, it was just still cynical, cynical booking. You know, yeah. like I say, you got to look at the, look at Ed Herman versus Zach Cummings. Yeah. Ed Herman got knocked out in that fight, too. Does anybody remember that about that fight?
2: Yeah. No. Well, to be f- again, to be fair to the UFC, and you know, I don't, I don't go out of my way to do this. It's not like they didn't give Shogun like 95 fights they, with uh with Little Nog. <laughs> like, he chances. certainly could have gone out on Nog or like John Volante. It's true. It's he could have, he could have gone out. Uh, no, it wasn't Volante. Who was it that uh, he did fight Volante, didn't he?
1: I'm sure everybody fought John Volante. <laughs> Let's see. I, uh, now I got to
2: Tyson Pedro. You know Tyson that would have been a Pedro, great one to yeah. go out on. They, they, Little Nog was after that. He, he won the trilogy with Little Nog. They
1: tried. They tried. You
2: know, he just kept
1: fighting. <laughs> it's true. They had. To, it was one of those points where, at some point, he just had to be. He had to have it really and truly proven to him that he was not ready to fight at this level anymore. Yeah. I get it. I just think, you know, it sucks. Maybe it's not the UFC's fault, but it (laughs) It does suck. We can all agree it sucked. Yeah. All right. Uh, Odds on the fight. Potieria is a huge underdog. Opened at plus 334. It's currently plus 324. Belato opened at Minus 412, currently a minus three ninety-five. Yeah. I just think Potieri is he's not he's not staying in the UFC. Yeah. Uh that brings us to a welterweight bout. Wellington Terman, Jared Gordon and uh Jared Gooden. Jared Gooden, that's right. Jared Gooden, and what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but what, is the, what does the UFC need this fight for? I don't know. Like, both of these guys are on
2: the roster?
1: Yeah, at welterweight, like, these are two middleweight-ass welterweights, and I know oh, Wellington it can change from middleweight to fight at welterweight. But he is Terman is very quickly feel, f- finding out why that made zero, like his problem was not size. Gooden used
2: to be a middleweight too, didn't he? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's fought a middleweight a few quite a few times.
1: Okay, I, he was never in the UFC, but
2: no, outside the UFC, he's fought a middleweight several times.
1: Yeah, but these are two middleweight ass fighters. Yeah. And no question. They neither of them have anything to offer the welterweight division. I don't no. I don't like to be cruel about that kind of thing, but frankly, they should both
2: have just been like, "Hey, let's be middleweights for this fight and just each other there." I mean, why yeah. bother with this whole charade of the weight? Cut? <laughs> you know you're middleweights at heart.
1: Yeah. Um Yeah, I think So I I I have to talk about this, but so (laughs) well determined. The only thing he does really well is the clinch, and he doesn't do it that well. I I, I guess I shouldn't say the only (laughs) thing he does well, but it's the only place he's comfortable. Yes. And he so he works really hard to get there, but then can be beaten there. Yeah. And otherwise, he's never been a happy, comfortable striker out at range he can sometimes become confident there, but it's always, it always has to be by accident of finding out that his opponent can't compete. Yeah. And oh, otherwise, Jared Gooden, did,
2: probably yeah. far too confident at range.
1: Jared Gooden is actually a Rock'em Sock'em robot that was turned into a real boy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually just a, one of those, punch doll like puppets that has like punch nokio over here yeah punch (laughs) nokio like he just he gets his fists right up at his shoulders he keeps his his torso perfectly straight yeah and and just walks forward pumping one twos and sometimes he can do a little slip in the pocket And he can get himself up from takedown surprisingly well because I guess probably because he's kind of got that like almost Greco-Roman stiffness to him Mm. where he only has to kind of lean over at at the bend at the hips a little bit and it's suddenly Mm -hmm. like an an obelisk. He's just a big strong dude. Yeah, he's just a big, strong dude. But of course, but if you can get past that at all, then he's got no grappling game to speak of at all.
2: Yeah, he's stiff and awkward everywhere. He's he's big yeah. and strong, which is probably why he has been as successful as he has been more than anything else. Yeah,
1: and he gets hurt really easily, but can fight through it shockingly well. Yeah, that is the other thing I would say. Um, so. That- Kind of inclined to take him. Yeah, I'm kind of inclined to take him too. Kurt Terman might be able to just get, if he can get him to the mat, he can almost certainly outgrapple him. But if he can't get him to the mat, <clears throat> then oh, this, this fight's so bad it's making me it's making me
2: it's <laughs> got a frog in his throat. He's become overcome with grief. If he can't
1: That. <laughs> Then he's just going to hang out in the clinch with him, and they're going to trade little punches. And Gooden's the better fight; He's the more he's the happier fighter there.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm taking Gooden. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah.
1: I will. I'll take Gooden, too. Screw it. Just These guys are not welterweights, and they are fooling themselves, thinking that they should be fighting in this division. They're not fooling us. Not fooling me, yeah. Not for us. (laughs) I see through this shit. Like muslin. That's right. Uh, Terman opened at minus 189. He's currently at minus 193 for Wellington Terman. Gooden opened at plus one sixty seven. He's currently a plus one seventy
2: one. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I just don't know. I sure. Gooden lost to Impakasangane and Carlston Harris, but he beat Curtis Millinder. Yeah. Wellington Terman. Oh, uh, the. The sad ghost of Misha Serkinov, mm. and Sam Alvey, and then Marcus Perez. It's just like all really. The only people these guys tend to beat are other really limited sort of misfit fighters. Like I say, they're middleweights. Mm-hmm. They're middleweight who beat middleweights. Ah, yeah. I don't see any reason that Terman should be any kind of decided favorite here. Certainly not. All right. And finally, Jamie Lynn Horth versus Veronica Hardy in a women's flyweight bout. A Horth of a different color. A Horth
2: of a different... We did this last time. (laughs) We did (laughs) not to beat a dead horse but not to
1: beat a dead horse
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm excited to see uh, veronica hardy back yeah um i'm excited to see basically how much of her last performance was a result of juliana miller not being very good
1: yeah juliana miller being pathologically aggressive while also actively bad at fighting yeah Really was the right, the secret sauce to Veronica Macedo being pathologically anxious, but also pretty, pretty good at fighting. Yeah, I
2: mean, she's always been a um, shockingly well-rounded, athletic, and even quite technical in spots um, fighter.
1: Always very dynamic, always very dynamic. Yeah athletic dynamic has a lot of things she knows how to do mm-hmm. is deeply uncomfortable doing all of them.
2: Yeah. Or, and even, um, th- I think that, that is part of it. Also just literally being too dynamic, like yeah, having that's... no notion of how to manage her own pace. Yeah. So many of, uh, Veronica, uh, then Macedo, now Hardy. So many of, uh, of Hardy's, Losses early were um, her like destroying herself, uh-huh. just flitting around and not being able to settle down and throwing everything way too hard and every single engagement on the ground being a madcap scramble where she just couldn't settle down and recognize. All right, like I'm actually having some success here. Let's try to sustain this. Uh-huh. um and I suppose, you know, it's clear that she has grown. Uh, you know, she, she took uh, quite a while away before yep. that three years, actually, without a fight uh, before the Miller matchup. Yep. And she didn't destroy herself.
1: No. You know, Miller's aggression she could have. She's not happy about the fight at all still. You could, you could see the anxiety on her face. Sure. But she did not make the wrong moves.
2: She didn't do too much. Miller was super aggressive. It certainly could have made her uh, fall apart. And in fact, a lot of it ended up being uh, Miller forcing grappling exchanges and Hardy just kind of winning them, defending the takedowns, winning the scrambles and actually getting to good positions and keeping them. Mm -hmm. Um, So clearly there is improvement, but this was a pretty low bar to clear. Yes. And, um, on the one hand, I think Macedo could feasibly be under a uh, – Hardy, sorry – could feasibly be under a lot less pressure from Jamie Lynn Horth. Mm-hmm. Almost certainly. But I also think Jamie Lynn Horth is, like, actually a pretty good wrestler grappler compared to Juliana Miller.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's, a, she's at least not nearly so self-destructive. Yes. Uh, um,
2: so uh, yeah. it just looks like another test. Like, what – what happens given more freedom? How does uh, Veronica Hardy's striking function? Um, can she successfully stay out of wrestling exchanges? If she can't, then um, does the fact that she's not fighting Juliana Miller mean that she's just going to get – she's going to lose in a way that is sort of familiar to us from her earlier career?
1: Yeah, because she is still pretty small.
2: She is small. That was another part of her problem: is that yeah. all the energy she was pouring out there was against just basically an automatic size and strength advantage for her opponents.
1: Yeah. Um. Uh,
2: and Horth is not small.
1: No. Horth, Horth is Juliana Miller sized, but without Juliana Miller, but oh, probably a little uh, beefier. She's, she's definitely looks
2: stronger. Miller is really yeah. willowy. Yeah. Doesn't seem to have any, like, core strength at all.
1: Yeah. And just Horth is more calculated. She will take a little... She's, she's got Horth sense. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh. <laughs> You had to go for a real old man expression for the horse pun that time. Who
1: would I be if it it wasn't an old man expression?
2: Yeah, I don't think I've even heard that one before. I kind of knew what it meant when you said it, but (laughs) that's that's more obscure than your usual like wooden nickel smoke (laughs) show comments. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I don't know. Not an easy fight to call.
1: Not, not really. No. I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna go with Horth. I think. I think that the Miller. I, I think the Miller fight is a little bit of a false front for Macedo. Yeah. And I think that somebody who doesn't make as many mistakes can probably take advantage of what still seems like an ang- anxious fighter. Yeah. But Hardy will be slicker. She will be more dynamic. So.
2: Yeah, as as much a as much a sign of genuine improvement it was that she, you know, she she had three rounds to d- to destroy herself and didn't. Yeah. Um that was also against somebody who was herself being self destructive for
1: Exactly. Rounds. And well, so we thought of Horth against uh Cowan was actually a, an opportunity where you know, Cowan is just a big strong Yeah. grinder. The kind of fighter who, if you go away easy, she will just kind of grab you and drag you into something rough. And Horth just outbattled her,
0: pretty much. Enough.
1: Yeah, well, that sounds fair. about
2: right. I, I, I think, yeah. I think you just gotta favor a bigger, stronger, um, a bigger, stronger opponent over over Hardy until until proven otherwise.
1: Yeah. It was the Miller fight was a great showing for her, but Miller is you're not even just the, you know. Yeah. there's, there's just a lot with Juliana Miller that does not work. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily convinced that that's Horth. Right. All right.
2: Like I was, I wouldn't be sure if I would pick. Uh, I don't think I would pick Hardy over like Lucia Pudilova, uh-uh. who is kind of on that Juliana Miller spectrum.
1: Yeah, you know. We just need to see it from Hardy because the
2: potential's there. But I would like to see it. We have we have always sort of had a a hope that she would improve because clearly yeah. she, you know, she had potential from the very first time she fought in the UFC and she was
1: only like was she, like 23 or something back then. Yeah. Yeah, even with three years off, she's 28 now. Yeah. And, you know, Dan Hardy is uh, a little bit of a blowhard at times, but the dude knows, you know, he, he knows what's he knows what's what in the sport. Mm hmm and he can she could do worse than having that ha, having that kind of coaching in in her corner and i think that's probably a lot of why she seems more collected and less error prone honestly yeah,
2: i hope so i like dan hardy what yeah. am i going to i'm going to hate like, hate somebody for being a blowhard
1: no not i don't, us. Think, I can,
2: I don't think i can get away with that
1: <laughs> no i don't think i think both of us would be uh, <laughs> have to be deep in the self self loathing territory to uh to make that our action item against somebody. Um all right on that let's see odds on the fight. See oops. Hardy is the underdog opened at plus one twenty eight currently plus one fifty two. Horth opened at minus one sixty four it's currently at minus 171. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap. You can find me over at, on Twitter at these You can find Connor on Twitter at boxing Bush. And you can find both of us over play. We'll also have just a little bit of bonus content for our Substack subscribers. So stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll see you next time.
0: To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber to do that. Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox are also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week including the MMA Bunker and MMA tete tete shows with Kid Nate the Level Change Podcast the Hey Not The Face podcast the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview shows the 6th Round Post-Fight Show the Show Money Podcast and the MMA Depressed Us